0: Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. I'm Julie Cook. I'm Matt Downing. And I'm Janine Dunn. And you are listening to Rethinking EDU. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this fine day, wherever you're from, wherever you're listening, in your car, on your phone, whatever it might be. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. We've got two amazing guests with us today. Um, Let me introduce them one by one. First, I'm going to introduce Terwil Tamino. Terwill is a bilingual educator. She's been working with kids in grades one through 12 for nearly 20 years. And she's passionate about literacy, bilingual education, and dyslexia research, um, especially pertaining to students learning second languages. Terwill, how are you doing this uh, fine day?
1: Hi, Mike. You make me feel so old. 20 years.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. I'm I'm doing well, (laughs)
1: thanks.
0: (laughs) I, I like yeah. to say that if you make it past five years as a teacher, you have to wear that as a badge of honor, right? So 20 years is okay. amazing. And I, you know, I know that all the teachers out there listening to the pod will absolutely appreciate 20 years of service to students. So thank you for that work.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and we're proud. Yeah, you should be. You should be. Um, our second guest is Maria Gajastigi. And uh, because I'm really bad with pronouncing people's names just in general, I think we're going to give Maria the title Mrs. G here on the pod. And Maria, you are the assistant principal at Foreman Elementary School in Plano, Texas. You've been working in education for nearly 25 years. And um, I wrote, and I I assume this is true because of your background as a bilingual educator, that you're passionate about language learning and literacy. Um, how are things going for you in Texas? Everything okay? Did you lose your power? I hope not.
2: Hi, Mike. You did a great job with my last name, but still, you know, you can call me Mrs. G. That is that's great. And yes, I've been in education for a long time. I think it's more than twenty five years, but I, I wasn't going to say that. But um, as a matter of fact, the power in my house—I didn't lose it, but I know. Um, My kids that live in the Dallas area, they both lost it and they were um, just getting the electricity for a little bit and then um, they didn't have it for 45 minutes and then it came on for another 45. So um, at least nothing happened to their pipes. So that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a crazy time. I I can only imagine. I know that all of my fellow co-hosts and my hearts go out to everybody in Texas, um, and I hope that uh, everybody in your community is, is okay after such crazy time. And if you're listening out there and you're not knowing what the heck we're talking about, um, Texas just experienced a historical storm of the century, dumping all sorts of snow and things like this. And it sparked all sorts of um, sort of craziness around access to uh, to basic, basic things like water and heat and electricity across the state. And so, Maria, I'm glad to hear that um, your kids are okay. Tonight on the pod, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Texas. What we are going to spend a lot of time talking about is the perspective that Terwill and Maria bring to the table as bilingual educators. And we feel like this is an important perspective to talk about because oftentimes bilingual education is talked about as important part of a student's educational experience, but yet... At the same time, it is sort of uh, overlooked often as part of a of a student's educational experience, right? There's lots of emphasis placed on literacy and math, and um, bilingual educators are not quite given the same fair shake. And so, we're curious about what Terwill's and Maria's thoughts are on that topic, as well as lots of others. Terwill, I want to start with you. You um, did you grow up in a bilingual household, and and um, what was that like for you? And um, how do you think maybe your your upbringing impacted your understanding of the importance of language?
1: Yes, I did grow up in a bilingual household. Um, I was actually born in Puerto Rico. So my parents, when they they both were educated down there, and all when you start kindergarten right away, they're learning English and Spanish the entire time. So my parents were fully bilingual. Plus I was, we came to the States. And growing up in a bilingual household, I, I didn't like speaking in Spanish, to be honest. My mom always spoke to me in Spanish, though. So she's like, I'm not speaking to you in English. You have to make sure you keep your native language. So I, I, I resisted it, but it was good because now I see all these years later how it's positively benefited me. I'm able to help other people as well. I didn't understand the importance of it as a kid, which I couldn't imagine or empathize with the kids now trying to learn a second language in middle school and high school not appreciating it either.
0: Yeah, that's got to be so hard. I can I can um I can imagine. I can imagine it would be hard as a kid too, you know, sort of thinking about like which language should should I or which language do I feel most comfortable with or which language do my parents want me to speak around the home versus what I want to speak around the home versus what my friends want to speak? You know, that's got to be super challenging existence to uh, to kind of navigate when you're young. Um, now, Maria, you grew up in Mexico City, and eventually your family made its way to the United States. Um, how do you feel like growing up in Mexico City has impacted your, your view or understanding of the importance of language learning?
2: um grew up in Mexico City and I attended a bilingual school which really helped because um at that time I did my bachelor's in computer science
0: Oh interesting and <laughs> all
2: books all books were in English so if I wouldn't have had that English since I was a little girl I would have really had a very hard time even going to college in Mexico, because as I said, the, the books were just started to be translated, those computer science books. So mostly we had to learn it in, in English. Mm. So, um, after I, I finished college, then is when I came to the United States. I, I got married and, and came for a master's to, um, it was to Wyoming, to the University of Laramie, Wyoming. So, um, I was really glad I had the, my elementary years. I had English, like it was half day Spanish, half day English. So I felt comfortable to uh, be able to even attend here, the university, and do my master's. So if, it wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have had that opportunity of learning English in elementary grade, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Now, my accent, I came too late because um, if you come young to the United States, then it seems your accent is not as bad. But since I came after college, my accent will be with me forever and I'll be an ESL a uh, learner always
3: I can relate. I my my husband is from England and he has a very thick British accent and people still can't understand what he's saying half the time. So <laughs> I think that it's it's such a blessing to you know be bilingual. Um I I am kind of jealous for sure that you know you had that opportunity to learn it at such a young age um both languages um and and now you're benefiting from it. I wish I wish that would be part more of our within our school system. Um you know, I think it's it's way harder to learn a language as you get older. But I'm sure you can talk to us about that. So, like Ter will, you know, I had heard that you your first job was with uh, as a language instructor with first graders. But um, are you you're actually working with older students now? Have you seen Have you seen like um you know like what's the difference or what did you learn about with language learning in the early days versus you know working with
1: the older students now? when i worked in texas with mrs g we taught elementary it was it's like it's very different but yet the kids share similar characteristics My, our little first and kindergartners were learning english and spanish at the t- same time so they had to learn how to read in spanish to go to english i'm doing the reverse with the older kids up here and there are transferable skills And they're very similar. You get the same like reactions, their childlike feelings. The ones up here, the high schoolers, they share a lot of similar characteristics that you would imagine they don't. Once I spent 10 years with elementary kids and now I've spent three years with high schoolers and they're actually more similar than people would think just looking at them. They're just as vulnerable, my high schoolers. I mean, the littles, they need, you know, more help with little basic physical things. But my older kids are also as insightful. They're also just as curious as a small child in an elementary grade. It's just they're, worrying. they're working backwards. My littles were learning English as their second language. And these kids are on the flip side doing Spanish as a second language. It's unfortunate, though, that my bigs up here are learning so much later.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think that for sure that it would, it would be more beneficial to learn it, uh, you know, when you're younger, <laughs> when you're teaching Spanish to, you know, these students are some of these students, um, you know, do they have uh, struggles with learning? Um, I'm just curious from my own perspective here too, that, you know, um, I have a daughter who actually is dyslexic and we I, didn't sign her up to take Spanish, to be honest, because I figured first language first and but now I'm wondering if I actually did more harm than good. (laughs) So I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah,
1: I actually have a dyslexic daughter as well. All right. When my daughter was about a year and a half, two years old, she would not speak to me. I spoke to her completely in Spanish. I honestly thought something was wrong with her. So I asked the pediatrician, What's going on? Is my poor child like delayed developmentally? And he told me, well, at the time, I wasn't, you know, as informed of second language acquisition. He said they'll go through a mute period. When I went home that day, my brother lived with us at the time. He was just out of the army. And I asked my brother, my husband, I'm like, does she not speak? And it turned out she was just not speaking to me. So it made me feel horrible. And I I regret not pushing forward. Because at an early age, when she was about three, I started seeing things. And I think I shared a lot of that with Mrs. G because I was still teaching with her. And I remember I saw you um, work the Scottish Rite program. And that's what my daughter did in Dallas. They do Scottish Rite for their dyslexic students. I can relate to your experience and what attracted me again to AIM.
0: And Terwill, before you just move any further in your story, I just want to mention for all the listeners out there that the school that you're talking about, AIM, is AIM Academy. That's where you and I work together. Um, we are a small school that serves a student population that has language-based learning differences. So, sorry, just had to clear that up. Uh, continue on, please.
1: There were They were actually going to Go forward and plan to teach students with learning differences a second language. When most comments are made, like you said, first language, stick with one language. They're not going to speak. They're not going to learn either language. And I see a lot of kids that I have now that the ones that are really um, invested are learning at a, just the regular rate or the expected rate that research shows a person would acquire second language when they are learning at such an advanced age. I actually was at a, um, on a webinar with Stephen Krashen. He's considered the godfather of second language acquisition research. And I, I was very happy that he actually answered my question when I asked, can all students, especially students, children with dyslexia, can they learn the second language? And he said, of course, of course. They just need a lot of input and their timeline will be longer. People will say they're not learning, but they are. And he said, just keep going at it. As long as they're interested and they want to continue the push, you just keep going with it too. So that made me feel a lot better when Stephen and told me, that I was doing what I was supposed to do, even if it felt like I wasn't getting as out as much output as I was hoping.
3: Well, that makes me that makes me feel better too. So, uh, thanks, thanks for sharing that for sure. Yeah, you know, I it's funny because even though I I I had and she agreed I had discouraged her to take Spanish uh, this year, but then she got into really studying Japanese culture and she started uh, investigating and, and she signed herself up to take lessons on Japanese all by herself and she's been singing songs and, and doing stuff in ja- and I'm just like shocked like so she, she kind of proved to me that you know, she, if there's a will there's a way I suppose and, and uh, they can they can figure figure some things out so
2: my daughter also was having difficulty reading she was never uh, tested for dyslexia and that's how I got interested in in teaching reading and teaching um, later on, dyslexic students or students with characteristic of dyslexia, and um, they all of them were English language learners and the program is in English. So they eventually got better reading. but I, I'm thinking maybe it's easier for the English language that the student that speaks English and has dyslexia to learn Spanish because Spanish is a transparent language. So our vowel sounds don't have the million of sounds that they have in the English language. So I think it's easier for them to learn that, um, phonologic, uh, that phonological um, piece for Spanish than our Spanish speakers that have to learn the phonology in English that so many different sounds that um, it, it's hard for them, but they can do it. Dyslexic students or students with dyslexia uh, can learn another language. And now what's
3: interesting too, we so often, you know, the research, I, I would think that it shows that, you know, the importance of language learning, uh, especially around with, within high quality education, but then we end up having language instructors that are oftentimes the first to be cut from budgets, you know, right after arts and music. You know, um, I'm just wondering why do you think that might be the case? Is it not valued? Is it? I don't know.
2: I think it's it's sad that we're not let students from early age learn another language. We know that in Europe, we we really are in disadvantage compared to them. They know three, four, five languages. And over here, we um, are waiting until they are in middle school or high school to start teaching them another language. So um, we we really are are doing a disservice to all those kids because all, all kids, all babies are born with the capability of learning any language. And as they grow up, they lose those skills. So the longer we wait to teach them, it's, it's harder for them. Like now I have three granddaughters and I speak in Spanish to all of them because um, my kids probably, even though they speak Spanish, they're... Um, the, their wives and husbands speak English. So it will be a household that mostly will speak in English and they won't hear the Spanish like my kids did. So I am in a mission to le- teach them another language uh, so that they don't wait until they get to middle school to learn those skills.
1: Yeah, I agree with Mrs. G. It's, it's a it, it, they, In this country, it's education, is so delayed in second languages, multilingualism, that I agree that learning a second language, like when Mrs. G learned it in Mexico, when my parents were in Puerto Rico going to grade school up to high school, it's just something that needs to be enforced from like day one when they walk in the door. I feel like in this country, it's not valued. Other country, and and it's also difficult to see the benefit when, for example, when I lived in Texas, I could drive 10 hours west and literally still be in Texas or 10 hours south and still be in Texas versus as if I lived in Europe and Germany, I would travel 10 hours away and I could possibly, I'll be in another country. So I think in this country, it's the benefit is not as real because people don't need it.
4: Yeah, I think there's not enough... Uh you know, connection for the students. I know um, I grew up in Michigan, and one trip to uh, Montreal um, convinced me that, you know, I should study Sp- uh, French for four years, and um, it's gone. <laughs> I, whatever, or however I learned it, uh, you know, it's, it's gone for me now, So, um, which I totally regret. But, um, you know, uh, c'est la vie, I suppose. But uh, I, I definitely wish I had that um, in in my background, for sure. So um, I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, your careers. Maria, I know that uh, for, you taught for a number of years before becoming an administrator. What made you make that decision to shift to administration?
2: I, I taught in... In the classroom for a few years, and then I became the um, reading specialist for a few more years. But then I wanted to still make a difference and especially the school that I have been working in is um a school with the percentage is very high of economically disadvantaged students so it's you you have to um I really wanted to make a difference and I believe in these kids and I believe that they can succeed and they can be the first generation to change their households. So I wanted to be sure that I could make that difference as an administrator because I I did have power as a teacher, but I felt as an administrator, I could have a little bit more power to advocate for the bilingual students and for them to be successful. And even, you know, just educate the parents, educating the parents and being able to have programs to educate the parents so that they also see the value in education and in their kids being successful and finishing high school and then going um, either a trade school or college. But I wanted to, you know, as a teacher, you have so much power, but I thought an administrator will give me a better uh, place to be to help the students. And how about you, Terwill? I
4: know that um, you had talked about finding your way to uh, AIM Academy. And how did you
1: find your way there, Terwill? I actually live a mile away, and I started four years ago as a substitute. Um, I subbed in the lower school and the middle school mostly, and I saw the things teachers were doing, especially since I spent so much time at the elementary level. I saw them, how they used Wilson, and I did the, when I did get hired full-time, I did the Wilson intro course, and like my brain just started going. It's like, how can I use what they the kids learned at in Wilson with the phonetics and the cards and all those strategies. How can I implement that in second language acquisition? So the, I mean, the draw, so to say, was to help specifically dyslexic students.
4: Sounds like both of you. The theme is you had a calling, right? Um, so we we have to ask about the pandemic. Um, so here we are. Um, What has it been like supporting um, these students that you teach, uh, either learning a new language or supporting students who are learning a second language um, as we're in this remote environment, hybrid, or whatever your context is? So what is your context? How has it been? And how have you been able to teach language um, in little Zoom boxes or with masks on? And how how has it all been?
2: We have around... um... 70% 70% of uh, our students or maybe even 80% of our students back. When, when we started, it, it was very hard because most of our families did not have internet. So the first, the first really um, problem was not being able to um, connect with the students. So we arrange the by professionals and the teachers, and we when we will help the parents communicate with the internet providers, with the company that offered internet provide that offered internet to be able. Um, at that time, they even offered free internet. So we were able to register. Um, many families and start zooming. I mean the, the students they learn they learn different um skills but the language part never grew as it would have grown if they would be at school. The teachers were trying to teach them how to read, but from far away, and there have been many studies about this, they it does not work. So we, we are really dealing with kids now that were out of school or, or were in remote learning for around six months and they come to school and they're behind. Especially the ones that have been more affected is the students that were in kindergarten and they missed the second semester, part of the second semester and the beginning of the year because we all started remote. And they lost that phonics and phonological piece. So we've been working on that. We have our masks, but um, we also have like a glass. Well, it's not glass, it's plastic in front of us. Or advisor and and the teachers many times, especially um, I've seen the English language um, teachers that are teaching the English to to the students. You know, kind of are wearing just the shield, like the plastic shield, so that they can see their mouth, so that they can learn their sounds. The same thing with the dyslexic students. We, you know, the teachers. Um, kind of are six feet apart with a plastic in the middle of them, plus the face shield. And they're using that so the students can, can see the mouth and they can learn the sounds. So that's, that's been really the hardest part. And, and the hardest part is also, um, like I said, the, the, truly the teachers and the students became very technological savvy in a way, we we really had to, you know, we were just all all the teachers. We've been kind of going into technology, but we were kind of in defense. And this pandemic just pushed us in, and we had to learn this um, technology. We didn't have a choice. But the part about the phonics and the phonological is not the same than being at school, even with the mask and the Shields and them, everything.
4: Yeah, it is not the same. I am with you. (laughs) Yep. Have you found the experience to be similar uh, to Will?
1: Yeah, yes, it's very similar. Um, When we started with the hybrid model, I had part of the kids in the classroom. Some of them were at home. And then we would swap the two days later. And it's just very hard to teach a language wearing a mask. Students can't see your mouth. They can't see the movement of sounds. Just like when they're young and they're reading. It just makes the mask make it very difficult. Second semester was decided that all languages would be completely virtual, which was a little disappointing, but I roll, I'm rolling with it. And the only, the positive that I do see in being fully remote, all the kids, they're now spread at home or sometimes in the school, is that I'm not wearing a mask. So they can actually see my mouth and maybe get some better facial expressions when I enunciate words and show them voca- or teach them vocabulary. So that's the only blessing now that they're they're fully remote logging in on Zoom. I don't have to wear a mask. Um, yeah, it's been rough.
5: One thing I wanted to follow up with, with what you're saying is what are some ways, as you're talking, I'm wondering about what are some ways that bilingual education, whether it be immersion or learning later, act, is helpful beyond just learning the language. So it's very helpful with learning a, a new language, but what are some other benefits that I might not see, that we might not see, that our listeners might not be aware of that's better than just learning how to say, can I go to the bathroom in another language? What are some other benefits? Or
1: where is the library is the other one everyone <laughs> knows. The multicultural aspect. I think a lot of, depending on what areas people are living in, growing up in, it's very um, homogeneous population, so they don't really see how other people live. And when you learn a new language, it, it opens up opportunities to learn about a culture, other countries, places you've never been. It gives you kind of like, oh, I want to go there and these bucket lists. Well, I want to, to le- use my Spanish in South America. Or there's actually a country called Equatorial Guinea in, S- in West Africa. Their na- Their native language is Spanish. Um, It gives you these thoughts where if you weren't even in a second in a language class like French, whatever, you wouldn't even have any ideas. When I started teaching Spanish in high school as a second language, the kids were shocked. Wow, I could go to Africa and communicate with people in that small country on the West Coast just opens you up to more cultures you could have goals like with when you were learning French, you went to Montreal, you're like, wow, this is pretty useful, and look at how nice it is here. If I continue with the language, I could go to France and I could go to other places. It's just an opportunity to learn more about different countries around the world, different people, gain, learn experiences, or immerse yourself in experiences that you wouldn't get if you were not. Trying to communicate with a whole other group of people,
2: I I agree completely with Terrell. The opportunity to learn from others about their culture, their traditions, and also we are we live in a global world, and our economy is a is a global economy. And many times they they're asking for, for people that speak other languages to work on these big companies that have um, that not only are in the united states but around the world so they give the people that know the language an advantage over those that do not because they can go and work somewhere else but definitely even even if you um, are learning another language your your brain the the Cells in your brain, as you learn another language, more of them start working. So, um, if you're thinking later on with um, just dementia or just knowing another language because your brain has more activity, I mean, I'm not saying you won't get it, but at least it will be harder, you know, to get because m- more part of your brain works. As you speak two languages, you're, you're, you're sometimes thinking in two or you're learning, you know, one word, one object can have many, many, you know, many ways to say that object um, or call that object. So even just for your health, your brain um, does, can, can do marvelous things when you Learn
5: languages. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, this conversation's been really interesting to me because I'm in a bilingual household as well. And my kids go to an immersion school. I'm not the Spanish speaker in my household, it's my wife, but uh but my kids go to an immersion school and uh and they speak Spanish the whole day. They learn math and, and all that in Spanish, all of their subjects are in Spanish. Um, and and oftentimes when we're telling friends or having conversations, they're they're a bit skeptical, right? Well. how how are they, they can't be getting both, you know, how how are they, they must be falling behind in English. Um, and, and you've talked about this a little bit. So we just, you know, recircled back and talked about the cultural part, but I really wanted you, I really wanted to give you a chance to zero in on that and, and sort of speak to that, right? There's, someone that's a bit skeptical of the immersion language, right? Not just learning language in, in high school, but, but the immersion experience, right? And I, I would really want you to speak to that and advocate for an immersion experience that it could benefit the child um, and they wouldn't miss out. So would you be able to do that a little bit?
2: Sure. Like me as a child in kindergarten, I, I went to, to school... I learned how to read in English before I learned how to read in Spanish, and I was in Mexico. And once you learn the concept, like learning a bike, you know it, you know how to read. You don't need to learn how to read again if you learn it already in one language. So it's the same thing it, because just words and um, if you know, the teachers make the bridge, what they call, and you're learning in one language and then you can bridge it to the other one. Because there are many words that are the same or, or the concept. Once you understand it in whatever language, the only thing you have to learn is the vocabulary. And, and I know people think, well, you know, I don't think it's, it's best but if, if we look at those kids that are, um, truly know two or three languages and we compare them to those that only know one language at the end of, of high school, you're going to see many of them that know two or three languages um, have, um, are better prepared and are ready to take more challenges and more
1: opportunities after they finish high school. Yes, I agree with the you could, immersion is great. I mean, honestly, it would be awesome if everybody did it. And like Mrs. G said, the only reason my mother knew English and Spanish in Puerto Rico, because she as well went to a private school. So other countries, at least in South America, learning another language also comes with a price. And I think up here, people don't see that it can work. If it's free, is it really going to work? But immersion is like she said, if you learn how to add one plus one, the concept is the same. You could have a, a one pencil or one block and then another one, you put them together. You just have to know what to call these these same words or vocabulary in just a different language. It's not like you're going to forget, oh, I learned uno más uno es dos. Oh, then you give a child one plus one. What is that? It just transfers. Your brain starts making connections and it just becomes automatic, especially for your children. That's awesome. They have such a huge advantage now.
5: Um, yeah, that's great. Thanks for for speaking to that. Um, thinking about education, whether it be with language acquisition, um, you know, or, or cultural components or something else. What's something that's on your mind right now um, that you would like to see a change in education?
2: I will definitely would like to see language taught at an, as, at an earlier age, not just waiting until they get to middle school or high school. Because, I mean, how many people or in the United States say, oh, I took four years of Spanish and I took... 10 years of French or, or whatever, and they still cannot, you know, they, they don't speak it or they don't feel comfortable. But if you learn it as a child, it, it is there. And, and you won't forget it because you had the skills and you learned it well. So I would really would like um, us to, as a country, to start teaching uh, another language early on.
1: Um. I agree. There's, I don't know if they're still doing this in Plano, but there's those two-way bilingual programs and a two-way bilingual or dual language program. Half the kids' native language is English, half the other half is Spanish, and they learn like Mrs. G did, half the day in English, half the day in Spanish or certain subjects. And those students together would essentially help each other learn. Or at the end of the couple of years or however long they had that opportunity, they all know two languages. So I would, that would be awesome. A two-way dual language program offered at least one class in every school where parents had that opportunity to opt in and apply for that chance for their child. It doesn't have to be Spanish. I know in Plano there was Chinese bilingual. It could be French. Is what they do in Canada.
0: Hey everyone, it's Mike. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing conversation with Mrs. G and Turwill. We hope that you've loved thinking about bilingual education, language immersion, and the implications for rethinking schools. We've got some really great news to share. We just launched our Patreon, so you can head on over to patreon.com slash RethinkingEDU, or you can head over to our website, RethinkingEDU.co, and click on the Patreon button in the lower right part of the webpage. Every dollar that you donate to us, whether it's a $1 a month or $100 a month, goes directly back to supporting amazing conversations that re-envision what education could be. Also, don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Diving Deep EDU, hosted by your very own Matt Downing. A
5: quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving Deep EDU. Thought-provoking Conversations.
0: So we're getting sort of closer to the end of the podcast here. And every podcast, we end with two segments. The first segment is where we offer our guests and our hosts a time to rethink education. So, who wants to uh, do some reflection first? Well,
4: I just think I'm so impressed with both of you. Um, I'm just thinking about you know teaching really is a calling. Both of you talked about your story about how you came into education and really wanted to service these these kids. Um, you know, I don't think there's too many other professions that people go into with such a passion for what they're doing. Um, and I can hear like Terwill you're you know saying it's really hard time, but you know, I hope we come out of this, and we just hold on to that um, that passion for what we're what we're here for. You know, I think we're the lucky ones. We all know like what we're doing here. What you know, we're not just uh, you know filling time. So I, I think I think that's what's amazing to me about this conversation.
1: One thing that immediately popped into my head is um, continuing education for teachers in the field of technology. I know every school has the the tech teacher and they come by and they'll say, hi, we got this new app or we paid for this new service. And you're like, wow, cool. As a teacher, this is great. I'm gonna use this in my class. And when it comes down to it, you're like, how does this, like, how am I actually gonna apply this to engage the students, especially using Zoom? It's great we have all these apps and these websites and these services, but I feel like as teachers, we actually need to really sit down and take the time, not just like a one-hour block during summer in-service or something. It needs to be like legit. I feel like a lot of teachers were just scrambling when this all happened to get themselves digital, digital ties, digitized.
0: Yeah, yeah, Well, I, I definitely agree. And I think we could talk at length um about that topic and I think in particular how it relates to language learning because I can imagine a lot of your practice had to be completely reimagined. Um and that's gotta be that had to have been such a challenge plus learning the new technology on top of
2: that. For me, it it was um it's always the the culture part how, you know, when you learn another language, you learn other cultures, and then your, your world opens up. I think that is, that is amazing. When, when we only know one language, like our, our world is so small, but when we learn more languages and really appreciate culture, even if we don't learn that language, but appreciate other languages and other cultures, the, your world just starts expanding. And the horizons uh, are there for you to explore.
5: Yeah, I'll just uh, piggyback on that. Yeah, the, the cultural piece is really powerful um, beyond the language. And then sort of like rethinking, how can we get this earlier? Um, that's also, you know, something people have, have been bringing up. And I've just, yeah, so those are, uh, you know, really resonating with me.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> I was actually just... Uh, I just did a read aloud in my son's classroom uh, who's in first grade and it was, it was a book on children from around the world. And I just, I picked out, you know, like five kids out of the book um, to, to kind of share their stories and we looked for connections and we looked for things that were interesting and that were maybe different than kind of how, how we live and what we're used to um, and that we were able to find value in that, in that there are differences. Um, So I can totally resonate with, with that. But uh the other thing that I am rethinking here certainly is this idea that, you know, just because maybe you're you're labeled as being learning disabled um or you struggle, you've struggled with uh your own language, your first language doesn't mean that you can't learn a second language. So, that's given me some food for thought in uh in you know, how we how we approach, you know, uh students with learning disabilities and, you know, don't count them out, don't count them out for being bilingual.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I think um, for me, this conversation is just a reminder of something that Terwill was talking about earlier, which is you're living in in Texas and you drive ten hours and you're still in Texas, <laughs> and you're living in Pennsylvania. You know, I was just in I was just in Pittsburgh this weekend, and it, it's like I drove you know four and a half or whatever five hours and I was still in Pennsylvania you know um and i, I uh, am reminded mostly of this because last year just about 1 year ago i was in central europe traveling to five countries in 10 days and you know we would drive a few hours and we were from we went from austria through liechtenstein and into switzerland like all within a few hours you know and and i think that that just geographic like conundrum for americans Really represents something a little bit more profound about their um, understanding of worldview, and therefore their understanding of language, and how that understanding of language impacts their view of the value of language as it exists in American school curricula. And I think that that can't be understated. You know, I think we're we're we run into sort of a major issue when we're talking about policy around education. Uh, around language learning. And when we're talking about priority around language learning, because you can, you can, right, there's some crazy statistic about the likelihood of you leaving your hometown, or like moving, you know, more than 10 miles away from the space where you grew up. It is very unlikely that that happens for most people. And because of that, something like learning a second language, when you may not, see it having any sort of like tangible value in your everyday life, it just may not ever happen for you. And and that I think is really hard because those young people are missing out on the opportunity to like explore culture like Maria was talking about or connect with somebody on a different sort of uh, level as you're like learning a language together, which is like a really joyous activity and something that just can't be understated. Um, so I think that there's a lot of thoughts in my in my mind going on around uh, how do we break down that barrier? How do we continue to place value on language learning um, as part of our normal processes in American schools? So we've done a lot of reflecting. I really appreciate it. Um, Maria and Terwill, it's been really lovely to have you here on the podcast. Um, the last segment that we have is we offer an opportunity for our guests and also for our co-hosts, if you're interested, um, in sharing something that you would like to plug. So this could be like your favorite podcast you're listening to your favorite book, your favorite Instagram account, or your favorite new pair of shoes that you got and why we should buy them too. Um, but anything you want to share Terwill, do you want to share something that we should, uh, that you want people to check out who are listening?
1: Um, I'm sure you know I love horror. So right now, I'm um, Stephen King, he's my number one. I just read his new um, small crime novel. I'm sure people don't know he writes no- um, novellas about crime paperback. but And a person I do follow on social media is Senori- Senorita, S-R-T-A, which abbreviates it Spanish. She has a lot of good resources. Um activities and things like that to use in the classroom.
0: Maria, what would you like to plug? What's something that we can check out that you've been listening to, reading about, or anything?
1: Listening, I, I think, listen
2: to different um, music, even for, with different languages. Like, look, look for, you, you know how everybody has Amazon music, so try to listen to songs in another language. Just, just... It's fun. It's fun to listen to.
0: Wait, can you can you give us a suggestion, Maria? What's your favorite, like, uh, maybe song that maybe people might know that has a great Spanish translation or other type of translation?
2: Just any Spanish song from you know from Selena or even from Shakira has some good good Spanish songs. Really good, you know, fun that you can dance and listen in Spanish. So it's always fun to, to do that.
0: Maria's dropping, dropping the mic over here. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, co-hosts, what about the rest of you? Do You all want to plug something? I got something. Uh, Braver Angels.
5: It's an organization that is seeking to help the red and the blue have meaningful conversations. Um, and it's been around for a couple of years, but it's never more important than now. So they'll bring people that totally disagree about a topic. They'll bring them into a space and give and facilitate it, uh, an incubator type style and. Uh, and, and help them find some, some middle ground and they're, they're doing some really positive and powerful work
0: awesome thanks for sharing Matt. and otherwise just uh leave us a rating on apple Podcasts if you get a if you get a quick second just hit those five stars because we know you love it um and check us out on any of the other places you get your podcast as always listeners thank you Terwill, uh mrs g thank you so much for joining us and keep rethinking edu everyone thanks